Adventure isn't just a journey. It's a ride that takes us beyond the ordinary. For some, it's an insatiable thirst for fun, for adrenaline. For others, a search for camaraderie or something greater than oneself. And there is a core group of motorcyclists that have taken on the world's most challenging terrains. From the icy whispers of the Arctic to the paths of Tierra del Fuego, this group is made up of David and Linda Madeira, Dick Cogswell and Esther Sonoras, and Jeff and Allison Goldberg. And today, David and Jeff share with us some of the tales of their motorcycle adventures. We've done the farthest south in the world that you can go. We've gone as far north as you can go. We've gone over the highest pass in the world. We've been to about 20 countries. We asked Olive, what's, what's an exciting trip? And he said, well, how about the highest pass in the world? And he said, well, that, that sounds good. So we went and did the highest pass in the world. You are in the present moment on a motorcycle. Everything else goes away and it can be terrifying and totally exhilarating. This is Fuel for the Future, presented by State Farm Insurance and driven by America's Automotive Trust. And I'm Michael May. A quick note, after we made this episode, we decided that we wanted to release a companion piece and interview all of the couples that take on these journeys together. This will be done at a time in the near future, so stay tuned for that. And now, here's David and Jeff. Thanks for inviting. It's awesome to be here, Michael. So both of you have gone on, I'm I'm just going to call it some crazy trips on motorcycles over the years. Jeffrey just told me he was reminded of one from the 70s. So you've been doing this a long time, Jeff. Yeah. But I want to start by introducing you both so our listeners know who you are. David, I'll start with you, David Madeira. And you are the, are you the CEO? Is that the proper title now for America's Automotive Trust? I am. Yeah. And do you, do you mind telling people just briefly a little bit about yourself and, and AAT? AAT, America's Automotive Trust, is a national entity that's committed to preserving automotive heritage and helping promote its future. And we have the world's uh, largest automotive museum here in Tacoma, Washington. We have a foundation called RPM in Chicago, which is all about restoration and preservation and mentoring young people to give them careers in that. We do a lot of driving activities. Personally, I've been motorcycling since I was 16 years old, like Jeff, uh, essentially all all my life. And um, about the time I, uh, around the time I met Jeff is when I went on my first motorcycle adventure uh, from Tibet to Nepal. And, uh, and then with Jeff, I think our first together was in 2005 to Turkey, I think. Yeah. Well, it's really David's fault that I've been allowed to make a podcast for America's Automotive Trust. So it's only right that you joined me on one of our early episodes, David. <laughs> Thank you for, for being here. And this is a story I've been interested in a, a very long time. So I can't wait to get into it. So Jeffrey, uh, tell us about yourself. What to tell? I, I live in Chicago. I'm from Chicago originally. And uh trying to get close to retiring, although I don't know how I'm going to do that. I'm an attorney. Uh, I've been riding motorcycles since the mid-60s when I was 16 and did my first trip out of Chicago about 90 miles with a uh, 50cc bike and a sleeping bag strapped on the back. And then I uh, got out of law school and thought I'd go on a two-week trip and ended up here about 
three months later, I got lost. I didn't know how to read a map at that time. I didn't have David to follow. And then I met, I did a lot of small trips and uh, met David in, as he says, in Turkey, in Ephesus. We had a lot in common. And ever since then, we've been to <clears throat> all the places we can think of. David and I did Alaska two years ago uh, and got our feet wet in the Arctic Ocean. And then the two years before that, we'd been, been to the southernmost point in South America, Tierra del Fuego. And then we went a couple years before that to the highest motorable road in the world in Ladakh and many places in between. Yeah. And so what kind of motorcycles have you both been, I guess, just most into as you've grown up? It's funny, Jeff and I uh, both bought Hondas when we were first young. He can describe his, but I remember vividly the ads that Honda was running when we were, when Jeff and I were in our young teens, and they were, you met, you meet the nicest people on a Honda. And so it was kind of the opposite of the Harley image, and I could sell that idea to my parents. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, so I bought uh, my first was a Honda CL350, which is they call it a street scrambler. I have one just like it today in my garage that Linda gave me. And Jeff, you have a similar background. I, uh, If you saw the ads in those days, you meet the nicest people at Honda. It was a little 50cc scooter, and that was my first motorcycle or motorbike, whatever you want to call it. And then... Two years later, I realized I needed more, so I bought a Honda 305 Superhawk. And like David, my wife bought me one. Uh, I had a 1965, and she bought me a 1965 model for my 65th birthday that I have in the garage. Oh, nice. Uh, ride rarely, and it reminds me <laughs> of how far we've come. You know, and, and we both said our wives gave us this, and we should say that our wives have been great companions on these trips. Michael, most women don't go on these. And sometimes <laughs> you should probably interview them. Um, yes, yes. You know, because they've got, they've got more guts than we do to ride on the back in those things. Is Yeah, anyway. Yeah. And now I've seen a lot of pictures that you both have sent me from various trips, including the one in the Arctic and and Patagonia and South America. And obviously the, the one I want to talk about most today in the Himalayan region. And I've seen what looks like flash floods. It looks like, you know, severe weather, severe cold. What goes into you guys deciding to go on these trips? Like, wh <laughs> why do you do it? <laughs> Um, it, it's exciting. It's wonderful. You get to experience so many things you couldn't experience in a car. You know, one of the things about a motorcycle when you travel, you're part of the environment. You don't look at it through a windshield. You don't have, you don't turn the heat up. You're feeling it. So when you wake up in the morning in a tent or whatever, you smell the fresh mountain air and it's phenomenal. And David and I are both lucky. We have wives that uh, not only allow it, <laughs> but they support it. And they go on most of the trips with us. The one to the Arctic uh, was the first one. 
that David and I have ever done alone where neither of the wives came with us. And I, I can say I'm glad that Allison didn't come with me because it was too tough, but I'm going to take her up there hopefully next summer in an RV because I saw things that I want her to see. Mm -hmm. I don't want her to miss that episode. When you uh, mentioned, when you asked a question, Michael, and you were talking about the things you saw, you saw us both start to smile. And <laughs> Jeff's right that on a motorcycle, you're totally immersed. So you've got the humidity or cold or in heat, rain, the smells. Um, and then when you're in those things, um, I think, so one is you're, if you're going to ride in something that intense, you are really focused, and, and one, or you're not, or you're dead. But you are in the present moment on a motorcycle, and everything else goes away. You know, you're you're not worried about your house. You're not worried about your law practice. You're in that moment, and it can be terrifying, um, and totally exhilarating. <clears throat> And then when you add to it the adventure trip like Ladakh or any of them, it's like, who gets to do that? And then we can look at each other and say, shit, we did it. Excuse my language. We did it. We did it together. You know, so there's this total immersion. Um, and, and another kind of immersion is and Jeff. Jeff had a, had a Jeff did a great thing on one trip. You pull into a little town in a place. Yeah. And I mean little village. And we had this in Morocco, but in the one I'm thinking of is Bhutan, where we pull into a little town and they've never seen anything like this. So the little kids come out and they get all around the bikes. And so now you get to engage, even though you can't understand each other's language. Then the parents come out and they get close to you and they begin to engage, which you never experience in a bus or anywhere else. So we were in Bhutan, Jeff, we always bring little gifts for kids. And Jeff brought kazoos <laughs> and gave the kids kazoos. And then he leads them in, in playing, what was it, happy birthday or something, Jeff? Yeah, we Remember? did happy birthday because Allison's birthday. And then we were teaching them some of the marching songs from Sousa. And, that was, <laughs> uh, and the parents, I'm not sure, I think the parents are pretty happy to see us leave town as we're marching through and had all the kids up and playing. But it was, it's an experience you don't get to see in a car. In a, in a car, you pull into a gas station and you get out and you pump gas and you get back in. But the way we, David and I do it and the other people on motorcycles, and we've gone with good-sized groups and also just the two of us, um, it's just different. It's an experience I can't. I can't adequately describe, but it's marvelous. Yeah. How large are, are, I'm speaking sort of in averages here, but how how many are in the groups that, that tend to go on these trips with you? The commercial groups can run up to 18 or, you know, six, probably average somewhere around 16 or 14, wouldn't you say, mm -hmm. Jeff? Yeah. And we get, yeah. They get tired of it. And um Part of the reason is you really got to be with people you can trust, can ride, and who you also get along with, mm -hmm. you know, and especially when the conditions go from luxurious to the filthiest toilets, difficult, 
you know, and women on those trips, you know, they, so you got to be with the right people. So we, over the years, we cut it down to Jeff and Allison and another couple, Dick and Esther uh, Cogswell, and the three of us uh, meet at Jeff's home for New Year's uh, in Michigan and plan where we're going. And it's nice. just, it's just great. The three couples, it's perfect. That sounds you, perfect. You really, you know, on a motorcycle, you're going to have problems at some point. It's bound to happen. And you really only want to travel with people who are relatively self-sufficient, who when there's a problem, pitch in and don't wait for anybody to take care of them. It's just a group effort to get the trip together. Now, all these trips, they're all going to be varying lengths, obviously, but how long? Like, do you go out for a week or two, or is it always different? It varies depending on where we're going. Uh, you know, when we went to Ladakh, you've got a couple of days of traveling just to get to where you're starting. And for that, you wouldn't want to be on the trip for less than probably close to three weeks. Right. So I would say typically two to two to three weeks is yeah. uh, is the commitment. Yeah. And that's a perfect tee up now to talk about that trip to Ladakh. Tell me about that. How did it start? Uh, when I went to Tibet in 2000, uh, it was led by a guy named Patrick Moffat who ran these Himalayan motorcycle trips, an American. And on the trip was a 16-year-old Indian named Alam Shah. He was a mechanic. Years later, so that was 2000, in 2010, we decided to ride across Bhutan. That was Jeff and Allison and, and our group. And Patrick died that spring of, due to cancer. And so his son, who had also been on the um, Tibet trip, took over the business and led it. And now Alam was 26 years old, and they became the co-guides. We we went with them to Bhutan, and then we decided five years later, um, we were just drawn to the Himalayas and India, and um, and those guys are awesome. So in 2015, Jeff, yeah, we that was five years later. Now Alam's 32, 31. I guess they probably said we got this trip, let's do it. I don't know, Jeff. How, do you remember how we got to Ladakh? We asked Alam, what's what's an exciting trip? And he said, well, how about, you know, the uh, the pass, the highest pass in the world? And we said, well, that, that sounds good. So <laughs> we went and did the highest pass in the world. Do you know the elevation of that pass? 18,380 feet will forever wow. be in my mind. I think, Jeff, we ought to get that for our tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've been talking it, about a tattoo for years, Michael. I think that's one of the one. one of the pictures that I think I sent David last night was us standing in front of the sign that gave yeah. the elevation yeah. of that pass. Yeah. And uh, do you remember offhand the name of the pass, just in case any listeners Cardone want to? Law. Cardone K-H-A-R-D-U-N-G Law. K H A R D U N G dash L A. It's right in the picture. That's the yeah, sign. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And and we will share that, listeners. We're going to share some some photos. It'll probably be on the America's Automotive Trust social media pages. Um, all right. So you decide to go, and uh, what what's next in that in that process? One of the things that we didn't mention: David acquired a motorcycle in Bhutan that was very important for him. 
one night. These were very odd motorcycles, old Royal Enfields that you, were really unique. And when we crossed Bhutan, we both we found motorcycles and Bhutanese whiskey. And one night after drinking some Bhutanese whiskey, <laughs> we found that you could buy those motorcycles, but you could buy them in the United States pretty cheap. But we wanted the ones we had ridden across Bhutan. So David and I arranged to ride the actual motorcycles that we rode through Bhutan, and now they are at the museum in Washington. Yeah. But, so, uh, the, um, yeah, they're, they're pretty special. Uh, they're just these really 1950s era. They're, they're modern bikes, but they're so simple. They're like a 1950s Triumph. They, they were made, you know, originally by the Brits. And they're, you know, not a great motorcycle by any means. But we're perfect out there because they're simple. If they yeah. broke, somebody could fix them, you know, no computers right. or anything. But what happens is we arrived in Delhi and um, the you know, group gets together. And then, uh, then, as Jeff said earlier, it was a multiple day ride. I think three days out of Delhi up yeah. into northwest, you know, up through India um, and, and probably took us two days to get to the Himalayas. You know, a place like Delhi is total chaos, you know, of you're in insane traffic of big lorries to you know, mm. little cars to rickshaws, you know, to donkeys to, you know, it's just total chaos and sound and smell. Uh, and then you, you begin to ride higher and higher and uh, it gets, you know, you're off paved road probably by day two. You know, you're into now you're into the green hills. And you begin to hit little villages where you stay in very modest accommodations, um, eating very modest foods. <laughs> Good Indian food, though, you know, spicy yeah. and all. Yeah. Um, the rooms are always pretty, pretty bare, pretty, uh, you know, pretty basic. Your dad and V wouldn't enjoy it. No, uh, no, they would not. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, and it's um, it's pretty, you know, it's just but what's going on there is culturally stimulating. Yeah. Um, and do you plan ahead where you're going to stay or do you just pull over somewhere when it gets time and say, hey, they may have a room? No Motel 6s along the way or holidays. You have to book it months ahead of time. Oh, OK. So it is booked ahead of time. All right. That's it's really important to have those Indian based guides. You know, mm -hmm. they've run the routes multiple times. Um, so they know where to stay. In fact, on that trip, um, Linda took shots of all of these outhouses along the roadway. Because, <laughs> and, and that's a loose term because you know, the, by the time you get to the last one, it's basically a corrugated thing about waist high and she and Allison are standing there with their coats out to protect the view of yep. Esther yep. doing her business, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and it just gets more and more that way. Yeah. Um, out in the Himalayas, there were these camps or along the so-called road where 
there would be a stone structure without a roof. It's a little restaurant. And, and in the summer or spring, whoever owned it would come up and they put tarps on top of it, blue tarps, and they would be there all summer long for the trucks and all that are coming along the roadway. And that, that's where you would eat. Then they take it all down for the winter and, vac- and vacate. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we were sitting in these little, little tents, really glad for it because it was cold. <laughs> so what was the first uh, major difficulty, just for lack of a better term, like what came up where it's like, oh, this road is really dangerous or the weather shifted? We 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 had some bad roads. Uh, we we're trying to go over the pass. That was the goal. And uh, we did several passes prior to, to trying to acclimate. But the roads, you can see in some of the photos, the roads don't exist. And there's a river that comes down and they just join the river and the road and you work it out. Uh, we were fording, you know, not not 10 foot deep rivers, but we're fording foot deep rivers and the river may run down the road for 100 yards and you just sort of ride up it. And it was really, really like that. Um, there's snow up at the top. And they're plowed, and you're riding along, and there's a wall of snow set eight feet tall on your side where they just plowed through it, and we're in muds, garbage, uh, putting along. It was, and the problem uh, in there is um, that so-called road is narrow, yes. and it's rutted, and it's gravel or lots of rocks, or if you're in water like Jeff's describing, you can't see what you're riding into. So you can hit, uh, which happened later, Jeff can tell you, but um, it, you know, you're, you're hitting stuff that you don't see. And um, then along will come a big bus or truck and there's nowhere to go. You're either cramped in against the wall uh, off the road or you're riding the edge of, you know, a thousand foot drop mm. uh, and it's, pretty dicey because the conditions, the traction and all can change, you know, can change like that and you, throw you. you. You've got to remember you're riding on the left. Oh, the yeah. Left all of your instincts are wrong. Right. And you'll see a car coming or a truck, a big Tata truck coming at you. And you got to remember, go left, go left, because you can't go right. You don't want to. So it's keeps you alert, very much alert. Well, it makes me think about what David was talking about earlier. Like you're so focused on what you have to do in those moments. Uh, also, by the way, there's no guardrails, correct? Correct. No. Uh-uh. And, <laughs> and you don't know whether it's gravel that's going to shift away or mud. Mm-hmm. Uh, mud will take you down so fast. When we approached that last pass, there were barricades down. We sat for four hours because the military wouldn't let you through. We're up on those borders, and who knows what they were doing. And and the uh, so we're sitting outside, waiting by our bikes, and uh, as more and more trucks and some other vehicles come up, and then all of a sudden they open the gates, and it is like a everybody's screaming to get to the front because nobody wants to be in the back of that. 
Wow. We're tearing off cross country to get ahead of them. So we get off and we're, you know, flying up through the fields and the boulders and stuff just to get around them. We uh, and then, uh, then go ahead, Jeff. On, on our first, you cross the pass twice. You cross the big pass into this gorgeous valley where we spent a couple of days. And then you come back and you have, this is the only way out. It's a one, one road country. And I had planned on doing something I thought reasonably romantic at the top of the pass on the first trip. I oh, yeah. brought an engagement ring and I was yeah. going to get engaged. Actually, the morning I, I was going to tell David, get your camera. And I decided, no, I'm not telling anybody what I have planned. But we didn't realize how big a tourist area this is for Indians. They don't see snow. Well, when we finally were about coming around to the big sign up at the top, and I thought it'd be really romantic, the highest road in the world, I thought I'd score a few points for that one. And uh, we get there, and it's an absolute tourist trap. And I put the ring back in my pocket or left the ring in my pocket. We didn't get engaged for six months. Six, seven months <laughs> after that, I'm just not doing it here. <laughs> when all hell break, broke loose, uh, we're riding up there. It began, uh, Michael, to uh, mist, and then it began to sleep, uh, rain, and then it began to sleep, and then it began to snow. And then, and you know, it's getting colder and colder. We get to the top, as Jeff describes, and we didn't stay long. Well, now it turns to thunder and lightning, lightning bolts and heavy rain and torrents of water and and you and your uh, and hail. You open your you open your screen, you know, your face mask so you can see because it's all fogged up. And now you're getting blasted in the face with pellets of hail. <laughs> right. You know, and you're now starting to plunge down and you're in all this rocks and deep water that you can't see anything. I mean, and as Linda said to me, she goes, it's like the mountains throwing everything at us that it could in one one minute. You know, and it was stunningly intense and exhilarating. David and Linda and Alice and I, we each have intercoms we can talk to each other we can't talk bike to bike with what we had at that time and there are times that allison and i are just having a nice conversation how gorgeous this is and what's going on and other times it's absolute silence she doesn't dare want to say a word to distract me from 100 yeah. percent concentration yeah or she's too too afraid to talk um and we're just <laughs> going through this it was uh it's it's always unique like that on a motorcycle. It's mm -hmm. just it's just fun, and sometimes you don't even want to talk because it's just so beautiful. Yeah, you can't yeah. you don't Absolutely. you don't want to interrupt the other one's thoughts right. because they're seeing what you're seeing. Yeah. It's too beautiful. Because a lot of what we were seeing out there, Michael, and stopping at were these unbelievable. And part of the reason to do it is you know we're in we went into caves from the 10th century that are. Um, not lit, they're not humidity controlled, you know, nothing. But you find, you turn on your headlamps or whatever, and you see these carvings or etchings that go back to the 10th century. Wow. And, and we're going into Buddhist monasteries. We stayed at a monastery. 
and you're listening to them, to the monks, you know, chanting, doing their chants, and you're just sitting there with them in this otherworldly place. It's, you know, it's just stunning. And so Jeff's right. You are, you're in these places where you just get silent. On a ride down that mountain, the, I'll never forget Jeff's talking about intercoms. So we stopped at one point and Linda says to me, move, move. I go, what? She goes, the mountain's coming down. And I looked left and you could slowly see the mountain starting what turned into a landslide. And we all got through it, except our good friend Esther, who wasn't feeling well, was in um, a truck, support truck. They got trapped up there. Uh, we got down about five at night. She got down about 11. She describes her guides, her guys, as digging on their hands and knees in the snow with no gloves, digging it out, taking care of her, keeping her warm, and then digging her out so they could get out of there. And about 200 people were trapped on the mountain that night. Oh, wow. And a couple of people died on the mountain that night. So, um, but, but I'll never forget Linda going, go, go. <laughs> and I, I just saw this little bit of earth and I had no idea what really was coming. But it was coming. So this is going to sound like a boring question with all that that exciting thing, all those exciting things going on. But I am curious about what you wear. Like, what is what's the outfit to protect yourself from the elements? Yeah. Anything you can get, and everything. Else. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're really lucky in today's world. Motorcycle riding suits are really they've advanced from what. David and I wore 50 years ago. We all, everybody that rides with us wears all the gear all the time. You've got boots on, you've got riding pants with pads, insulation, long underwear, and then we have rain suits over it when it's really inclement and helmets. So you're pretty pretty sealed in there. And today, uh, when we were in, in some of our trips recently, uh, we both have electric vests that are battery powered and you can put those on and you can stay okay. I mean, it's not, not great, but you can, you can keep great. a little warm. In. The, uh, all of our gear is armored in terms of Jeff mentioned pads. Well, it's in your shoulders and your elbows and your knees and your hips and your back. And you really want that back protector. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, Michael, when we when Jeff said, unlike 50 years ago, he and I used to ride in blue jeans. And you know, mine was a chambray work shirt, blue jeans, and an army fatigue jacket. Yep. You know? Mm -hmm. But if you saw, and we look at usually the Harley riders or the young guys with these young girls on crotch rockets today. I saw a girl the other day going down a highway on the back of a guy's bike. They had to be going 100 miles an hour. She's in short shorts or hot pants, pink, bare legs. And I'm thinking, as Jeff and I know, if you just see somebody go down at 10 miles an hour without protective gear, they're going to take their skin right off. Mm -hmm. We won't let anybody ride with us who doesn't armor up. Well, has anything happened to either one of you on one of these trips? We've all been hurt. Uh, Everyone has. There are two types of motorcyclists who ride, those who have fallen 
and those who will. You're, you're in one of those clubs. David and I are both in those who have fallen. When we were coming down over the pass and we were almost down about a mile and a half from where it started getting paved, at the top of the pass, David had gone to give me a high five and I said, no, I'm not. we're not down yet. And we were going down. It was dark. It was at night. It was pitch black. I was going reasonable, very slow, working my way through some stuff. And a truck came, and I had to turn to get away from the truck. And right ahead of me was a small pothole. And I was going too slow to keep the bike up with my feet and too fast to not be able to. And uh, the bike went down with Alice and I on it and went down on my leg, and I broke my leg mm -hmm. um, out there and uh, started screaming pretty good. It hurt. And uh, they dragged me off to the side, and I said, I didn't know I'd broken my leg. And uh, I said, just help me get up. Pick up the bike. Help me get up. I think I can ride out of here. And I took one step. And um, I couldn't ride out of there. I couldn't stand. Fortunately, we were able to flag down a car. And somebody stopped to help and got me to a a hospital. It was a it was a bummer because as, you know Jeff and Allie were just we were Alam was in front of us, and then Linda and I, and then Jeff and Allie and the group back like that, and literally couldn't have been more than a a mile and a half from pavement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just one of those freak things. We were in Colorado, Jeff and I, and another guy, Dick, on a uh, dirt bike adventure um, school. We all had a great day of riding. And the next morning we get up and we're just heading out and we're going down this hill and it's sandy. Sand is scary or dangerous. And, um, I went down, taking a turn at probably 10 miles an hour, if 10 miles an hour. Not and, even. And I had, I had um, motocross boots on, which are even stronger than what we normally wear, because we were out doing this on purpose. And I busted up all my toes, had to have a uh, steel pin put in. Uh, I busted up my shoulder. I had to have... Uh, I had to ha have a muscle taken out and a hamstring from a cadaver put in at a, a five miles an hour, Michael. So these things just happen to us. Yeah. And it, I, I think you've already kind of talked a little bit about this, but the thing that makes you want to keep going and, and going on trips like this and riding motorcycles, knowing how dangerous it is, I would imagine is part of the element you were talking about earlier, David, of uh, almost like this meditative type of experience where you feel connected to the, to the earth, to the people, to the culture, to the surroundings. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Michael. Um, and then to do it with someone like doing it with Jeff, you know, uh, we've been in all these groups and then we just went on this thing together and just sheer adventure, two friends. We were in, the Arctic was so cold, 17 degrees while we're riding. <laughs> Which, and, of course, probably feels much colder when you're actually. Oh, moving, yeah. Right. right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Speed. And then it's all gray. Everything, everything was gray. So you couldn't pick out the difference between the road and the landscape. You know, it was just 
But each night we would end up in these stupid little trailers in a room that was so small we <laughs> we could barely move around each other, you know, and then go eat truck stop food. But with your you're with your best friend and you're having this experience and it's totally immersive and you, and you never forget it, you know. So what's next? Where where are you guys headed off to now? Well, we're 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 trying to figure it out. We're uh, getting together for New Year's at my house, and uh, we're going to figure out a trip for next year. Uh, you know, it's a it's a question though, uh, Michael, because people are aging out that we ride with. Our wives are becoming more hesitant about do they want to risk at this age of life. You know, mm-hmm. Jeff and I still have a burning desire to do it, um, but you know, everybody around you is beginning to talk tempering and should you and and then you begin to ask those questions and there becomes a time where we're going to have to say well we've done the farthest south in the world that you can go we've gone as far north as you can go we've gone over the highest pass in the world we've been to about 20 countries do we need to do this yeah we do i think jeff and i have at least one more in us together i don't know about the others um and then we'll we'll switch probably to car trips because we're not going to quit traveling together. I would tell you, Michael, if I could, if if I didn't get grief from everybody, I would go back to the Himalayas. I almost don't care where, and ride with Eric and Alam again. If if they're more than going to somewhere new, we've had such great experiences in that part of the world, and I just love to ride with those guys one more time. I really would. Yeah. I don't know if it's remotely possible. If I was single, I would. <laughs> <laughs> well, and if you go, you may be single again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you both for this. I, I've heard bits and pieces of, of some of the, the adventurous tales over the years. So it was nice to hear a little bit more from you both today. Michael, thank you for doing it. It it was fun to be able to do this with uh, Jeff and to have you do it. Uh, It was really, uh, really meaningful to us. That'll do it for Fuel for the Future. The show is driven by America's Automotive Trust and presented by State Farm Insurance. To learn more, please visit americasautomotivetrust.org or find America's Automotive Trust on social media. We encourage all of you to please follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating or review that goes a long way to supporting the show. Thank you all again. Until next time, I'm Michael May.